Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to help you understand the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, February 16th, 2024. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. As we head into a three-day holiday weekend, for some, we are reminded of the celebration of President's Day, which has an origin that actually goes back to celebrating our first president, George Washington, but has also expanded to include President Lincoln, and then has also expanded to include a celebration for the office for all presidents. In addition, it has origins in giving federal employees a three-day weekend in order to provide a celebration that has also led to some consumer spending. And as a side note, if you think about the origin of Mount Rushmore, four presidents were selected to basically represent the 150 years of American history, and two out of the four were on Mount Rushmore, being George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt. And with that, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts, here to share their insights on this week's market activity and more. Some might say they're three faces of the Mount Rushmore of investing, at Key Wealth. Steve Haight, Head of Equities, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Patrick Grady, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each week. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic calendar and news for the week, the big item was the release of inflation as measured by the Consumer Price Index for the month of January. As we look at the numbers overall, year over year, they weren't too bad, just worse than expectations given that overall CPI came down from 3.1% year over year from 3.4% in the previous month. Overall, if you exclude food and energy and you look at core inflation, the number stayed constant at 3.9% for December and 3.9% year-over-year for January. Those in the market were expecting a little bit more of a decline. And overall, if we look at the services economy, the number actually went up from 5.3% last month to 5.4% this month in January. Now, in general, that doesn't sound too bad, but if we look at the month-over-month numbers for January, all the numbers basically increased from the perspective of importance. All items went up, core items went up, food went up, and services, which is the lion's share of the economy at 60%, went up. Energy came down a little bit and goods came down a little bit. But overall, we think that was basically the surprising part of the market's report in the month-over-month, given that it actually escalated in terms of inflation. Now, the stock market took a hit that particular day, so we'll talk to Steve about that when we get into our podcast, but let's talk about a few more other economic reports. Overall, retail sales for the month of January actually showed a decline of 0.8% coming off of a December revised number of a positive 0.4%. So we're basically seeing the turn of the year after the holiday season is over, looking at different seasonal variations, but ultimately a negative number is not good. We don't want to see it that way, but it might be cyclical or it might be an opportunity to look at what's happening in the consumer market overall in terms of a slowing economy. 
And finally, on the other side of the economy, from a manufacturing perspective, overall industrial production came down for the month of January in the preliminary number for the month of January 2024 at a negative 0.1% after being flat in December and positive in November. So again, we'll take a look at that as well in terms of the overall economy. So let's turn to Steve in terms of his reaction to what he saw this week in market volatility with the decline on the day of the CPI print, but a nice rebound the following day. And we'll take a look at what that might mean for the rest of the month and year in terms of Steve's commentary. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, Brian, you know, it's been definitely an interesting week, but it's also been uh, a week that looks just like any other pullback that we've had since the start of the year, to be honest with you where the market basically gets into the, the buy the freaking dip mode, you know, and, and uh, that's what we saw. So the, I think a lot of people were really surprised by the CPI number that came out this week because it, it ran hot um, and it ran quite a bit hot relative to expectations. Um, and, and it made people, at least for one day, <laughs> credit, uh, th think about what does this mean for the Fed? Is it going to take them... Uh, make them change their language and maybe push out the idea of rate cuts even further um, away than, than the May meeting. Um, but literally one day after we had that large gap down, we started to eat right back into the gap. And here we are at the end of the week and the market's back above 5,000 again, as we sit here uh, on, on Friday morning. Uh, and, and quite honestly, if, it, I think it's really been earnings that have driven the, the the market this week as we've gone through and seen another batch of uh, very, very solid reports. And, you know, I, I keep coming back to this idea that, um, I, you know, maybe inflation's going to run hot, but th this is this is a boom, folks. I mean, you take a look at what nominal GDP is doing. Nominal GDP is at 5% plus. You've got... Uh, the market continuously underestimating the growth potential for the economy. I mean, the economists and everybody else have been saying one and a half percent growth, one and a half percent growth, one and a half percent growth for each of the last three or four quarters. Everybody had been calling for recessions, this kind of stuff last year. They were wrong last year. All the numbers this year, everybody's counting for on one and a half percent growth. And if you look at the GDP now numbers, they're coming in at, at well north of three, if not four percent. And you look at the numbers that the companies are putting up when they're coming through and with beat and raise and guides higher, and it's telling you that the economy is doing very well right now. Whether that fits the narrative or not is a different question, but clearly the market is willing to, uh, to, to take the results at face value and, and bid stocks higher. Now, I don't dispute that when you've got um, some of the concentration issues that we've got uh, with the market when we, you've got uh, valuations pushing north of 20 times forward earnings. The argument that stocks have a massive amount of upside from here is, is, a, is a very tenuous one. Uh, but that doesn't mean that stocks can't grind higher as long as the earnings numbers continue to go higher in this kind of boom environment where nominal GDP is going to run hot. Um, and, you know, we see the, the num numbers bearing that out. Um, for, 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 for corporate earnings. So you know, I think that we remain fairly constructive toward equities here as we head in toward the, to the, to the middle of the year. 
Steve, any thoughts on the retail sales numbers leading into consumer spending, leading into the extended uh, nature of that GDP being strong for the latter half of the year? Any, any thoughts on this? You know, consumers continue to spend. It's hard to, you know, I think that the rule that we've always been told is to, to never underestimate the ability of the American consumer to spend money. And, and I, th I think that we see that. You know, there are some pockets where where we've got some consumers that are that are retrenching and you see some of it in some of the credit data, whether it's uh, auto credit or uh, whether it's some of the uh, lower tier credit card uh, folks. But at the same time, uh, when I look at the performance of the lower tier credit card companies in the, the, the market, um, my analyst in the financial sector, Mike Schroeder, tells me that this is a really early cycle configuration because those stocks are outperforming right now. So the, the market is looking through maybe some of the actual economic numbers, whether it's retail sales or some of this credit data, and is seeing this boom for what it appears to be something that will likely solve any of the problems that, that some of the data may have near term. So Rajiv, on the same token with the Fed, as Steve mentioned, might push their rate outlook out to the future. What are your thoughts from what you've seen on the inflation read and what you hear from, uh, from the Fed speak? So thank you, Brian. Uh, with that CPI report more elevated than expected, uh, there is now this question mark on the continued uh, disinflation argument. And that question mark not only took the March rate cut off the table, but it also worked to shift the entire treasury curve higher when it comes to yields. Uh, with the Fed and the market so data dependent, and then you have this expectation of a headline number coming below 3% and you don't get that, the resulting impact was immediate. Uh, effectively, the CPI report pushed rate cut expectations further out in the year, as Steve mentioned. Uh, not only was March rate cut taken off the table, the probabilities for a May rate and even a June cut were reduced. And now July is where Fed swap expectations point to the first Fed rate cut. And that's what happens when a market is completely dependent on cues from economic data. Uh, traders took nearly a full rate cut off the table right when that CPI report came out. Now, what does this do to the Fed's view uh, of their Goldilocks narrative that they've been pointing to? And, and that narrative is that an economy can keep growing and inflation can keep moving lower at the same time. Well, that CPI data report, it put that narrative in doubt. I view the CPI report as more of a warning it's an opportunity for the Fed to keep rates higher for longer in the near term and be careful methodical, as they've been saying. They don't want to have to come in there and do a rate cut too quick and then start seeing CPI reports that are elevated more than expectations and have to go back and do a rate hike. That's something that nobody wants. And I know the Fed doesn't want that either. Uh, but in the interim, yields will remain higher for longer. Typically, we have seen investors step in when yields move higher. Uh, the resistance point on the uh, 10 year was about 4.20%. When that CPI report came out hotter than expected, we blew right through that resistance point. Now the street is suggesting that buyers are waiting for the 10-year to hit 43 to 4.34%. That's the zone where, that's the new resistance zone. We haven't seen that level since November of last year, but guess what? This morning we are at 4.3%, and let's see if buyers start to really view this as an opportunity to step in. Now, treasuries have benefited from continued demand for corporate bonds. Uh, we had a few jumbo deals this week in the uh, corporate bond space, and all of them were extremely well received by the market. The flight to quality is still in play with these markets. Market B, uh, investors are looking for these blue chip companies, corporate bonds of blue chip companies. They're getting good coupons there. 
This is also looking for providing some support to treasuries. Treasuries also viewed as a safe haven. So we're seeing some support there, but it's gonna be very important to see if we get through that 4.3% uh, range and go to a new height. But back to the credit markets, if you were invested in long duration corporate bonds or mortgage-backed securities, you did feel exposed uh, to those higher yields this week. When that hot CPI print came out, those longer duration corporate bonds did not perform well at all. If you were in mortgages, you got extended on duration, you didn't perform well there either. Where you performed well was shorter maturity debt, sectors with less duration were the safe haven. High-grade credit default swaps went wider on the CPI print. Junk bonds moved in tandem with equities, also moved wider on that CPI print. But it's been a very interesting week, and it's going to be interesting to see if we see some follow-through next week. Uh, we did hear some Fed speak this week, but not enough to really shake the market. Uh, I think next week we should hear some more. And I, I guess this market is really data-dependent, and we continue to be so. And I think all expectations are going to move really quickly from one data print to the next. I'm wondering how the mini market fared in these days. Uh, let's get Pat Grady in here. Uh, Pat, what do you think about the mini markets right here? Uh, thanks for having me back on the pod. And um, I thought it might be helpful kind of talking about what's going on today in the mini market is, is to take a step back and explain, you know, generally how we got here. Uh, at the end of last October, 10-year uh, muni yields were roughly 3.65%, which was up 100 basis points from the start of the year. Uh, so as yields moved higher, prices moved lower, and not surprisingly, muni performance was negative uh, for the first 10 months of 23, down roughly 2%. Then Fed announced policy change and, and signaled to begin cutting interest rates in 24. And so this caused uh, Treasury rates to move dramatically lower, uh, roughly 90 basis points in November and December. And munis will generally move directionally with the Treasury market, but not in lockstep. And so we also moved lower, uh, but that move was a little bit more dramatic. Uh, munis moved lower by 130 basis points in November and December, which was exacerbated by a, new, a lack of new issue supply, which is fairly typical uh, at year end. It's just not a lot of uh, issue what's going on. Um, all this added up to a pretty solid year per, uh, performance. Uh, and we finished 2023 positive by over 6%, which was a dramatic turnaround from how we started the year. Um, but the net result of all these rate moves and, and muni outperformance at year end is that we began 2024 with munis looking uh, expensive relative to other fixed income. Uh, now, this is a good thing, I guess, if you own munis in the back half of 23, but I guess for those looking to invest today, you might be finding better alternatives elsewhere uh, outside of municipals, uh, especially on the short end of the yield curve where muni valuations are looking extremely rich. Um, there are some pockets of value in munis, but generally we see uh, kind of remaining on the expensive side, at least in the short term, uh, that's because we we just see a supply remaining on the lighter end, and uh, there's not really any selling pressures despite these uh, rich valuations. Uh, I guess so. If we see any catalysts in the in the muni market that would move us back to fair value, we'll try to get back on the podcast to inform you. That's great, Pat. Appreciate the update uh, for a lot of our listeners out there who do invest in municipal bonds. That's a great update and a timely one. So let's finish with the podcast with Steve. Last question to you. Any quick thoughts on uh, small cap versus large cap in, in your mind? You know, it's been really interesting, Brian, because it's been kind of a, a tale of two years already during 2024. So if you look at the performance for mega caps versus, you know, equal weighted S&P or small caps, uh, the, the market so far year to date is telling you that all the performance is concentrated in the mega caps and we have yet to see any um, any broadening out of market participation. 
because the equal-weighted S&P 500 year-to-date is up 1%. The MAG-7 index from Bloomberg is up, is up 10, and the S&P is up 5, driven by the MAG-7 performance. However, if you go back and you cut the year and, and from the date that small caps bottomed, which was January 17th, uh, the performance picture looks a little bit different with small caps up almost 7% since January 17th. The market is a, as a whole, the S&P is still up 5 6%, um, and MAG-7 is up 10 So really, we've seen a performance gap close between small caps and the mega caps since the middle of January. It, that that's a, a little bit of a, a nuance. It's kind of hidden underneath the hood of the market. We'd really like to see that continue to improve as we move forward here. If we continue to see that, I think it really bodes well for the health of the overall market. Um, we're not, again, calling for the MAG-7 to massively underperform here. We just think that they maybe have gotten a little bit ahead of themselves as as they've come through the first part of the year, you know, a couple of them are up 40%, for goodness sake. Um, so, you know, we, we think that that's probably a bit overdone, uh, but we have started to see some improvement in small versus large since the middle of January. And, and it's something we want to keep our eye on if that becomes a, a, a more uh, persistent trend. Well, thanks for the conversation today, Steve, Rajiv, and Patrick. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. Key Wealth, Key Private Bank, Key Family Wealth, KeyBank Institutional Advisors, and Key Private Client are marketing names for KeyBank National Association, or KeyBank, and certain affiliates such as Key Investment Services LLC, or KISS, and Key Corp Insurance Agency USA Inc., or KIA. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing KeyBank and certain affiliates such as KISS and KIA. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice, are those of the individual authors, and may not necessarily represent the views of KeyBank or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. This material presented is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be an offer, recommendation, or solicitation to purchase or sell any security or product or to employ a specific investment strategy. KeyBank, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates, represent, warrant, or guarantee that this material is accurate, complete, or suitable for any purpose or any investor, and it should not be used as a basis for investment decisions. It is not to be relied upon or used in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. It should not be construed as individual tax, legal, or financial advice. The summaries, prices, Quotes and or statistics contained herein have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but are not necessarily complete and cannot be guaranteed. They are provided for informational purposes only and are not intended to replace any confirmations or statements. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investment products, brokerage and investment advisory services are offered through KISS member FINRA SIPC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through KIA. 
insurance products offered through KIA are underwritten by, and the obligation of, insurance companies that are not affiliated with KeyBank. Investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal amount invested. There is no guarantee that investment objectives will be achieved. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Asset allocation and diversification do not guarantee returns or protect against losses. Investment and insurance products and services are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, and not insured by any federal or state government agency. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2024.